This morning, we're going to wrap up chapter one of Colossians. We've been working our way through that first chapter. Um, at the start of the series, we said really simply that Paul's letter to the Colossians is, is really a declaration and a question. The declaration is that Jesus is king. And the question is, will you make him your king? That's the question that was before them. That's the question before us. Will I make him my king? And so then the, the rest of the book, as Paul is writing, he's declaring some things. In chapter 1, he's declaring the power of Jesus being our king, how powerful that will be in our lives. And so we've looked at things so far like the reality of God's grace in our life. What happens when grace in truth um, come together in our lives in Jesus? Secondly, we've looked at the knowledge and wisdom and understanding that can only come from God. That can only come from our creator and sustainer that's available in Jesus. And then finally, last week, we looked really simply at this picture of God transferring us from darkness to light, that he is light, and in him there is no darkness. And when God declares, let there be light, a miracle takes place and there's light. So we've covered these like big, big images of how incredible God is. He's full of grace and truth. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's everything. He's the light. It's like these huge, big issues, this powerful picture. And it all gets summed up right here at the very end of chapter one after hearing all of these things. And I want you to imagine, I know some of you, um, maybe you haven't been here at all for this series. Some of you, maybe you've heard one piece or another, but, but they, they picked up this letter that was written to them and they begin to read through it. And they're just seeing in the first, you know, five minutes of reading, just this unbelievable picture of who God is. He's loving. He's powerful. He has everything that they need. He put the stars in the heavens. He created everything. And he cares about me and you individually and personally. They just have this, this grand picture. And so imagine in your minds for the very first time you've got this letter of, of this huge, unbelievable, glorious God. And we get down to the end of chapter 1 and we're reading all this amazing stuff about him. And now we're going to pick up in verse 24. Check this out. Colossians 1.24. Paul writes and he says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. I just briefly want to pause there for a minute. We mentioned this a few weeks ago. Paul is writing about all this grand, glorious stuff while he's in prison. Paul is like pressing through and powering through difficulty and obstacle and challenges in his life. And yet he sees that as nothing in comparison to what he gets to declare to these people that he cares about. I get to tell you about how incredible God is. And so verse 25 he became a minister of those things according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Can you guys say fully known? That was lame. Let's try one more time. Fully known. There you go. That was a little better. To make it fully known. What's he making known? Check this out. Verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. So all these big, huge topics he's been talking about, he says, listen, this stuff, there's an element to it that's just mysterious. 
there's, there's an element to it that just, it doesn't quite land. Like I hear it and it, it sounds kind of cool and God sounds pretty big and seems like maybe he's even got some really exciting things in store for me. But the reality is it, it just, if I'm honest, it's kinda, it kind of goes over the head. It kind of misses the mark a little bit. But Paul says, no, in Jesus, this mystery can now be fully known. I want to unpack this for you so you can understand it, is what Paul is saying. God has made it available. And so this mystery that was hidden for ages and for generations, it's now been revealed. What is this mystery? Verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, how many people have heard that verse at some point in their life before? Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? Many of us. Okay. The problem with becoming familiar with certain verses is they lose their impact. Can you imagine for the first time reading this letter, Jesus is being lifted up highly by Paul. He's glorious, he's loving, he's wonderful, he's amazing. He's the creator of the whole world. He's all of these things. And then they get down to this passage and he says, I want to tell you a secret. That God is in you and the results in your life will be glorious. I mean, their jaws must have hit the floor. Are you kidding me? This is impossible. This, this can't be the case. This makes no sense. I can only imagine just the awe and wonder of hearing that for the very first time. And my prayer this morning is that, that one more time in our lives, God, God would help us to see that as stunning, as amazing, as an incredible offer. Paul's saying God has something in store for you that is rich and it's full of glory. And it's, it's mysterious. A lot of people never get it. They never hear it. They never receive it. They never understand it. But it is available to you. And through Jesus, it, it's made plain. It's made accessible. And so he goes on in verse 28 and says, It's him that we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Your version might say perfect. It really just means complete or whole, healthy. Verse 29 for this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. All of these big things that are available in Jesus boils down to one really glorious truth, one basic concept, and yet it's a little bit mysterious, and that is that Christ in me is the hope of glory. So we're going to dig into this a little bit. We're going to look at a few of these words and unpack this. Um, and I want to do this, there, um, there's just a translation I love that really captured some cool things about verses 25 through 27. So we're going to put that back up on the screen. Um, Colossians 1, 25 through 27. This is the New Living Translation. And we're just going to, we're going to work our way through this. Um, first of all, in verse 25, Paul's writing and says, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you, his entire message. Why is that important? It's important in this way. Being, being able to experience Christ in me, it involves a lifelong journey. There is always more 
to be discovered. There's more to be made known. There's more to be revealed. That doesn't mean that I'm left in the clouds until I get there, that I'm lost in this foggy, hazy mystery until I get there. It just means I am starting a journey with Jesus that is this incredible exploration. I'm moving from glory to glory. I meet Jesus for the first time and it's wonderful. You mean I can be forgiven? You mean my guilt and shame can be dealt with? You mean I can live life in a world that is dying and yet not fear death? Whoa, that's awesome. Can any of you guys get back to that moment when you first said yes to Jesus? Can you remember it? How many of you were, were a child when you said yes to Jesus for the first time in your life? All right, anybody say yes to Jesus as an adult? Yeah. You remember that moment when it was just like, wait a minute, what? This is glorious. This mystery was made known that we can know Jesus and he can set us free. It's amazing. But Paul's writing to believers who are already walking with Jesus and he says, listen, he wants you to understand the entirety of the message. There's more to grow in. There's more to be discovered and it will be glorious. Verse 26, there's a really cool thing in here I want you guys to see. Verse 26, this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you. Can you just hear that this morning personally? I want to read this one more time for you. God wanted you to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you. They're for you. They're available to you. They're accessible to you. The incredible things that God has to offer, they're not for like the seminary student. You know, they're not for the guy who's like just digging into the Greek and the Hebrew and is, is educated enough to really dig in and get to the real stuff. And the rest of us are just hopefully we'll, we'll catch a little bit. No, it's for you. You can hear the entire message. You can receive everything God wants to share with you. And listen, it's rich and glorious. That word rich is there. It means what you would imagine riches means. It means wealth. It means abundance. If the gospel of Jesus has been declared to you any other way than lavishly, we're missing out. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is rich, it's abundant, it's wealthy. I'm not talking about your bank account. I'm talking about a life that is full in Jesus. Jesus didn't come so we could settle for Sunday morning in the South, getting dressed, going to church, because that's what I'm supposed to do. And that's why Jesus came and died on the cross. That ain't it. He came so we could be full and overflowing with everything he has for us. It's available to you. Knowing him, walking with him, receiving from him, it's available to each and every one of us. Listen, the disciples, the guys that delivered these goods, you ever stop to think about what a motley crew they were? I mean, tax collectors. Like, Matthew was hated. Tax collectors. Fishermen, you know, fishing in, in, our, in our day and age often just means going out with a pole and maybe getting on a boat and, you know, you're casting a line out and you're in the boat and you're, you're pretty clean. You reel up a fish every now and then. 
That's not what this looked like for these bros. They went out in boats with huge nets. They're out there all day. They scoop up fish in these nets, and they're pulling them in. And, like, I don't want to be too gross, but, I mean, have you been around fish that you're pulling out of the water, like, loads and loads of them? Man, they're slimy. They stink. They're nasty. And then somebody's got to clean them. Like, these are just salt-of-the-earth guys. These are dudes who know how to catch fish. And Jesus gave to them the glorious mystery of the gospel. If you don't hear anything else this morning, I hope you hear this. You're qualified. You are qualified to receive everything that Jesus Christ has to offer. And what he has to offer is bountiful. It's not miserly. You know, he's not Scrooge where he's got all these riches, but he's pinching pennies and hardly giving anything away. His gospel is lavish. It's abundant. And what does this produce in our lives? Glory. Glory. This word glory means splendor, honorable, and praiseworthy. But it means more than just that. It means thinking those thoughts, recognizing those things. It's not just that something is glorious. It's that it's recognized as being glorious. Have you ever done something really cool in your life and you looked around and nobody was there to see it? I mean, I can remember as a kid, like, I'm just, I've always loved basketball. It's been a big part of my life. And I can remember as a kid, like, working on these different shots out in the driveway. And I'm trying this same move, and I can't get it, and I can't get it, and I finally get it. And I'm, like, looking around for somebody to celebrate with me, like, I've been working on this for hours, for days. And it's crickets, and there's nobody there. How glorious does that really feel? Not very. See, glory is actually connected with community. Glory is a shared experience. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to share my glory with you. I'm letting you in on this. I'm letting you be a part of it, a partaker in my glory. And then you guys individually get that. But then together, we get to celebrate in the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done. This is why it's so important to, like, share our testimony it's not just about telling someone else about Jesus that hasn't met him, although that is very important. It's about glory. It's about recognizing and honoring and declaring God's glory in your life. And it's about you getting to share in that glory because he's done it with you. He's touched your life. He's done something incredible in your midst. That glory is available. One of the ways that this, this visual just comes alive for me is seeing a sports team celebrate a championship. You know, the NBA Finals happened recently, and when it's over, I mean, you just see these guys on the team, and when they go to celebrate, what, what do they do? Where do they go? Do they, do they just stand there themselves and like, or do they go find strangers in the crowd like, hey, we did it, good job. They rush to each other. They run to each other. They hop on each other. They're holding on to each other. They're celebrating. And, and part of that glory is looking at each other's eyes and going, we know how hard this was. We know what it took to get here. We know the challenges along the way. And we overcame. We did it. They rushed to each other because they did it together. Listen, Jesus went through a lot on our behalf to bring us back to the Father. But the scripture says that he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. 
He endured the cross for the sake of that glorious moment when you and I are going to see him face to face one day. And it is going to blow away any sports celebration that has ever happened on the planet. It's going to be way cooler than any moment I was celebrating by myself in my driveway that I'd made a basketball shot. It's going to blow that away. Glory, riches, this is what's available to us. Now, he talks about this as being a secret, being mysterious. But it's an open secret. It's available to us. And the message is simply that Christ lives in me. So here's what we're going to do with the rest of our time this morning. Jesus himself gave us a description of what it looks like to, to experience Christ in me. And this was so important to him that he saved this conversation for his closest friends the night before he died. And so in John's gospel, there's, there's several chapters that are well worth digging into and reading where Jesus just, he prays for his disciples. He actually prays for you and I. He prays for people that are going to believe in him in the future. But he has this conversation, this intimate conversation with his friends. And we're just going to peek in at some of that this morning. So if you want to turn in your Bible to John 15, you can do that. We'll put it up on the screen here in just a minute. But we're going to work our way through a few verses and see how Jesus explains that we can experience what it's like to be in him and for him to be in us. This is, this is available to us, and Jesus is about to make it really tangible. So John chapter 15, verses 1 through 6 is where we're going to start. Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. All right, you got the picture? There's a vine, there's a bush, there's a tree, whatever image helps you. So the, the tree itself is there, and then there's the person that cares for it, the gardener that comes along and keeps it healthy and takes care of it, right? There's the picture, father and son. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, let's just pause right there. I love the honesty of Jesus. Does he launch out by saying, hey, I'm this vine and it's going to be awesome. Y'all are going to be plugged into me and all this cool fruit is going to grow and you're going to be healthier than you've ever been and it's just going to be the best life ever. What's he say? He says, listen, I, I got to let you know, there's some branches that aren't going to stay connected and they're going to they're die. There's other branches that are going to be healthy and I got to be honest with you, they need some pruning. They need some trimming. Anybody ever experienced any of the Lord's pruning in your life? Not exactly the most fun thing to go through. But what does he tell us the pruning will produce? More fruit. And then finally he says, you're clean because you've heard my word. Here, here's the picture that he's giving us. If nothing else is going to be required as it relates to abiding in Jesus, it's going to require some faith. I am putting my very life in his hands. I'm saying, God, do with me what you will. I'm trusting that you're not going to let me run dry and become one of those dry, rotted out branches. I'm going to lean into you and trust. God, there's going to be moments in my life where there's some loose ends that need to be trimmed off. There's going to be some rough edges that you want to cut out, some things that need to be gone. And I'm going to, I'm going to lay my life into your hands and let you do that work. This is going to require faith in order to abide in him. Removed pruned, cleaned. 
Can we do any of those things? Can a branch prune itself? No. Can a branch will itself to produce fruit? No, it just has to be a healthy plant that will produce it naturally. Can, can a branch clean itself? There is an attitude of under, utter dependence that is required to experience what Paul is talking about, abiding in Christ. Having Christ in me produce glorious results. It takes trust. It takes faith. Yes, interesting, like here we are, tomorrow's Independence Day, it's the 4th of July, we're celebrating the life and the freedom that we have and, you know, establishing our nation, and, and that's awesome, that's wonderful. The message that Jesus is declaring is actually that the life that he has to offer and the freedom that he has to offer, it doesn't come from independence. It comes from total dependence. It comes from leaning on him, not on my own strength. So he begins to unpack this a little bit more in verses 4 through 6. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do a few things. Almost everything, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Now, that doesn't actually sound like that good of news. <laughs> I can do nothing without you? I mean, that's almost like, an, it feels like an insult on my intelligence, on my ability. Like, I feel like I can do some things. But he's actually offering good news. He's speaking the truth to us. Listen, apart from me, you can do nothing. This requires on your part reliance on him, resting in him, and watching what he will do in your life. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. There is a life that is available, and without him, you know, it's easy to read that verse and go, man, that's just, that's just God being angry and judging. No, he's just saying the reality is apart from him, we wither up and we die. We're burnt out apart from him. We were made to be connected with him. See, the glory of God is in who he is. He's creator. He loves. He's light. There's all these glorious things we could unpack about God's character and who he is. You know what our glory is? It's in being in right relationship with our creator, experiencing what he originally intended for us. And the way we achieve that is by trusting him. It's faith. Very simply, he mentions a couple of things here about faith. It's, it's ultimately about resting in him. Um, does anybody here follow along with, with some of the sermons back at Grace Chapel in Franklin? Dr. Mark Rutland's been there preaching like a three-part series a few weeks back and he gave this incredible picture about faith, um, looking at this Old Testament story where they got bit by snakes. The children of Israel got bit by these snakes, and they were poisonous snakes, and it was like they were dying from it. And then he gave this strange command, take this bronzed image, this bronze snake, hold it up on a pole. If you look at it, you're healed. If you don't look at it, you're not. And then Jesus references back to that and says, that's like me. That's like me. If you'll look to me, you'll be healed. 
you'll look to me, you'll be healed. That's faith, looking at Jesus. Just looking at him, pondering him, dwelling upon him, seeing what he's like, seeing what he'll do. A.W. Tozer describes faith like this. It's the gaze of the soul. It's the gaze of the soul. So it's not physically walk around every day looking at you know, the image of Jesus on a cross, but it's, your, it's taking time in your life to gaze, to look, to consider him. And one of the core ways we do that is what Paul was talking about and what Jesus is talking about, resting or hearing God's word. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So how does that hearing take place in our life? For me, um, I just, I relate things back to my kids. My kids just teach me stuff all the time. They don't even necessarily realize it. But I think when it comes to hearing Jesus' voice in our lives, our starting point often feels muddled. Has anybody ever struggled in their life with being able to hear him? Feeling like, man, I'd love to hear what he's saying, but I can't. Jerger, I'm with you, man. Like, it's been a struggle at times. But something transpires over time where at first it kind of is this muddled, I'm not totally sure what I'm hearing, and then eventually I begin to recognize it. And I was thinking about it this week. You know, my kids often in the middle of the night get up and are like roaming around the house. We've got two kids with special needs, Micah and Abby. They're an adventure of their own, and they have trouble sleeping sometimes. And, you know, when, when they were first, when we were first just like Micah was adopted and when he first came home and Abby, as she got bigger, started moving around. We just hear a noise now and it's like, man, I have no idea what's going on right now. We rush up and go to see what's there. Well, now I lie in bed and I can tell by the footfalls who it is and even where they're going. Like Abby has a very specific sound. When she wakes up in the middle of the night and has to go to the bathroom, she's a little bit of afraid of how dark the hallway is. So she sprints to the bathroom. <laughs> She goes from dead asleep to sprinting like that. And you just hear these feet, and it almost sounds like she's not so much running as she is trying not to fall because her body's moving so fast. So she's just like throwing the next foot in front of the other to try to keep from falling. She just races to the bathroom. I hear that sound. I don't even have to get out of bed. I know what's going on. Abby's got to go to the bathroom. I also know when she's done, she's going to come in my room and say, I can't sleep, even though she just woke up. That's just what's going to happen. All right? Then there's Micah. Micah sort of makes all of his effort in getting his feet off the ground, and then he requires no effort in putting them back on the ground. It's just thud, plop. I mean, it sounds like an elephant is walking through the house. And Micah's, Micah's thing in the middle of the night is the opposite of Abby's. He doesn't need to go to the bathroom. He needs a glass of water. And so that kid will just start stomping down the stairs, go over to the cabinet, get a little cup out, get his water, drink it, set it on the counter, stomp back up the stairs. And so... I've experienced this enough by going out and watching them and making sure everything's okay that now when I wake up in the morning, I just listen. And it's like, okay, that's Micah going downstairs. I'll wait, make sure he comes back up. He's not like, you know, going outside or something. That's happened as well, 3 a.m. But I listen, right? And there come the stomp of the footsteps back up. I recognize, I learn even the differences between my kids and how their feet sound and how they walk. Listen, I'm not going to tell you that it's always going to be easy to hear Jesus' voice talking to you. But what I will tell you is if we will slow down and listen, and when we think we hear something, we're not sure what it is, and we'll go investigate, 
what we will discover is we'll begin to recognize his voice in our lives more and more. It'll grow. And so it doesn't just require faith by looking to Jesus. Our faith requires listening for him. And one of the main ways we can train ourselves to do that is reading the word. You know, the problem is some of the core basic things we should do as believers have been turned into like homework projects that just sound like something I have to do. And it takes all the life and joy out of it. You don't have to read your Bible every day. But you get to pick up this letter that was written by the creator of the universe who's crazy about you and who loves you. And he wrote things down that people have been desperate to hear about for ages and generations, mysterious things that you can know. And because this book is alive, because Jesus is the word, I'm not just reading a story that happened thousands of years ago. I'm listening to God speak to me right here, right now, today. And it might be muddled at first when I open this up. But if I will allow myself time to sit and listen to God's voice and hear him speak and, and ask him, okay, God, I, I see what you're saying there, but what are you saying here? What are you saying to me? And then what this book does, it trains us to recognize the footsteps. God is not a silent God who at certain moments in time decided to send some news to people so they could write this. God is talking all of the time. He's talking all of the time. This gives us clarity and direction and wisdom so that we don't contradict him, so we don't hear a voice and think it's him when it's not. This tells us who he is and how he thinks and how he operates. This helps guide us into a relationship with the God of the word. He wants us to hear his voice and to know him and to walk with him. And we can. We are able to. You have what it takes to do that. And so we start in faith by going, okay, Jesus, I'm looking to you. And then I watch that faith grow as I learn to hear his voice. Is this making sense to you guys? Y'all with me? All right, so we abide in him. Let's continue on. Verses seven and eight. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That verse has, has boggled people for centuries. What is he talking about? Is this just like a slot machine? Like, okay, I bring up my word of God quarter and I put it in the slot and I pull down and cha-ching, jackpot, there it is. What's he talking about? He's not saying, if you've read my words, you'll get whatever you want. He's not saying if you're vaguely familiar with them, He's saying, if my words get down inside of you, if you are at home with me, if you're at home with hearing me speak into your life, something is going to start changing about you. And you're going to become the type of person who can ask for something, and it's automatically going to be the thing that God has for you, the thing he wants for you, the thing that's best for you. This transformation in our thinking is going to begin to take place. And the things that we desire are going to be the very things he desires to give us. It's a process that we go through. Verse 8, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Looking away to him, hearing his voice, letting his word abide in us 
it produces fruit. All right, we're going to look at one last thing together. Verses 9 through 15. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus connects loving relationship with obedience. He connects loving relationship with obedience. One of the biggest struggles in my own life personally um, was learning that obedience was a good word, not a bad word. As a kid, when it was like my parents were giving me the, I just want you to obey, I mean, that was like the first four-letter word I learned, obey. (laughs) It's the O word, right? It just, I hated that word. Like, it just meant they wanted me to do something I didn't want to do, and it probably wasn't going to be very fun. That's what it meant to me. And Listen, in hindsight, I realize so much of that is just my own flawed thinking and sinful nature, but, but that word obey just has such a negative connotation to it. And then we've lived in a culture for so long where when the church talks about obedience, they're talking about like religious, slave-like devotion to just doing these rigid things that God says or else you're in big trouble and here comes the smiter dropping the hammer. That's not what Jesus is describing. He says, look at my relationship with the Father as as a guideline. I love my Father. My Father loves me. I recognize his love in my life. I trust him. I'm in relationship with him. I'm hearing what he's saying. And because I know his incredible love for me, when there's something he's asking me to do, I'm aware that it's a good thing, that there's value in it, there's benefit in it. It's a way to experience his love. And so Jesus says, listen, love and obedience go hand in hand. The problem is we have kept ourselves at a distance from God. And so the love piece is missing and obedience just becomes something I have to do. And that's out of order. The love leads in to obedience. The relationship with him dictates, God, you're awesome. And I've seen your incredible love in my life. And I want to grow in that and experience it more and more. And God, your love's been so incredible in my life, I'd kind of like to give that away to some other people. And so by walking in this love relationship with him, it produces an attitude of obedience. God is calling us into a life of long, loving obedience, relationship with him, where we hear him speak more and more in our lives. We recognize the sound of that. We recognize his great love for us, and so we say yes to him. Remember what we said at the beginning? What's Colossians about? Jesus is the king. Will I make him my king? Will I make him my king? Am I willing to obey and to follow what he's saying? He continues on. Check this out. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus is trying to redefine obedience. He's saying obedience will produce joy. He didn't say it'll produce you being a good boy or good girl and then he'll be okay with you. It'll produce joy in your life. I mean, I don't think I've ever met anyone that said, eh, I'm just not really that interested in joy. I'm good. I'm kind of okay with just trudging through. Misery sounds pretty good to me. I'm, you know, I guess maybe Eeyore would qualify. I don't know that Eeyore was looking for a lot of joy in his life. Jesus is making joy available to us. And he says, if you'll abide in me, 
My words will abide in you. You're going to experience my incredible love. And that will lead you to following, to listening, to obeying. You guys see the progression that's happening here. I look to him. I hear from him. What I'm hearing from him is, I love you. I love you. My dad loves you. My dad loves me. He wants you to share an experience in my love. And so I'm going to say that to you over and over and over again. And I'm going to show it in your life. And there's going to be moments where obedience is going to lead to a moment of pruning. And everything in you is going to be screaming, this doesn't feel like love. And he's going, will you trust me? I love you. This is for your growth. This is for your benefit. And then I can get to the other side of that pruning and all of a sudden new life begins to grow out of it. A new shoot comes out. There's a fresh season or sense of fruit in my life. And that fruit, that byproduct is going to be joy. It's going to be joy. This is the invitation. And so Jesus finishes all this up. In verse 12, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. See, Jesus, Jesus simplified all the law, all the rules, all the things that need to obey. And he boiled it down to two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He's like, that's what I'm calling you to. You want to know what obedience is? Cool. Experience God's love and give it away to other people. That's, that's my commandment. That's my law. That's what I'm looking for from you. There's times where it's going to cost. There's times where it's going to hurt. But that's what I'm calling you to, love, loving one another. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. This is what Paul was talking about when he says that mystery has been revealed. It's been made known. It's available. Jesus says, here it is. There is a life that is available in me, the creator of the universe who sees. He not only sees how things are supposed to work, he sees how they're not working. I just, I just want to get real with you guys for just a minute. I never want to project any sense of, I got this figured out and life is easy street. That is not the truth. The truth is I can regularly look at my life me and my wife, things we're walking through with our kids and just go, God, I don't get what's going on right here. This is tough. This is broken. This isn't working. I'm, I'm broken. This situation is broken. God, I don't get it. I don't understand what's happening here. And the message of Jesus is simply this. There is a God who knows us, who loves us, who created us, and he sees every single thing that we're going through. And he has made a life available to us that's in him that touches everything. And the question is, will I simply go, okay, God, here I am. I'm laying my life at your feet. I'm making you king in my life. I'm choosing to say, God, I'm going to look to you. I'm going to hear from you. I'm going to receive your love. I'm going to walk in obedience. And you're going to produce something in my life incredible. That's glorious. 
I believe God gives us moments right here in this life of glory where we get a taste of just something incredible, maybe a season that we've walked through, a relationship that we're grateful for. Like he gives us doses where it's just like, man, that was glorious. Thank you, God. Jesus said, I came to give life and to give it more abundantly. I believe that. I also believe truthfully that we live in a fallen, broken world with fallen, broken people. And the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ is there is a glory that is coming that will far surpass any of these present troubles. And if you'll lean on me, if you'll trust me, I've got you. I got your back. I'm going to present you to the Father complete, whole, glorious. And we're going to have a party that will end all parties. We're going to have a celebration that will end all celebrations. There's going to be a moment of glory that will last a eternity, not a lifetime, an eternity beyond a lifetime, forever. That's what's available to us. That is the huge, glorious message of chapter one of Colossians. God is huge and he's amazing and he's wonderful and he loves us and he has the things that we need for this life. And our hope is that he comes and he lives in me and I get to choose to abide in him. Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to pray a simple prayer this morning that the mystery of Christ in me, the hope and glory, would become a reality in our lives. God, that it would be mysterious no more. That it wouldn't be this vague cloud, I wonder how I do that. God, that you just make it evident to us that we can know you, that we can place our faith in you. God, I pray that you'd redefine some things for us. Lord, I don't, I don't know what part of this might be tough to hear for someone. For me, there have been many times in my life, Lord, where just hearing you was such a huge hurdle. I just felt like I couldn't recognize your voice. It seemed like you talked to other people and not to me. Lord, I pray that you would speak clearly and loudly to my friends. God, I pray that they would be able to recognize your voice more and more. God, maybe it's obedience. Maybe obedience has been defined as such a a battle, a struggle, this, this thing that some God up in heaven is forcing me to do. God, I pray that we could see obedience as a, as a vital, healthy part of our love relationship with you. Lord, wherever we're at on our journey moving from glory to glory, God, I pray that you'd invite us one more step in. God, I pray for glimpses of your glory in our life here and now. And Lord, give us endurance till that day when we celebrate with you in your kingdom forever. God, we love you. Pray for each one of my friends here this morning that we could abide in you even today. We don't look ahead to a few days from now, God, today that we could abide in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.